0: So we're at John chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 44. That's one of my my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Let's read God's Word together. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So the Jews said, See how he loved, them, loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for it has been four days. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing, Father. As we look at this glorious miracle uh, done by Your Son, we pray, God, that You would help us to see, help us to grasp, help us to understand uh, that in a very real way, this is a glimpse of things to come. Help us to uh, fully appreciate what our risen as Lord, risen Lord, has done through the cross and what he has done for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I admit it, I'm a big fan of Apple, not the, not the fruit. I mean, I like the fruit, but I like the electronic company Apple. And one of the things that Apple is notorious for doing is they do Apple events. And what an Apple event is, it's usually the release of a new product, a redesign some kind of an upgrade, and they're always very hush-hush about it. There's rumors out there. There's a lot of secret, real quiet. So there's this buzz as the event is coming up, like what, what, are, what are they going to reveal? Uh, 2010 was a big one. They announced the iPhone 4, and one aspect of that, they announced the FaceTime app that is so widely used by us in the world today. But what it would do at these, these big reveals, it would give consumers a glimpse, a sneak peek, a, a preview, a foretaste, a, a snapshot of the future. This is what that product is going to be like, and you're going to one day be able to have it in your hands. And it would get a lot of oohs and ahs. And, I, and even back in the day, I think they've lost a little bit of their luster now. It's become so widespread. But like back in the day, an iPhone, you would wait in line Maybe for hours, outside, hoping that you would get it. Well, I would argue John 11 and the story of Lazarus, it's a big reveal. It's not an Apple event. It's a Jesus moment. And it's much more grander in scale. What Jesus does with Lazarus is a glimpse of what he has done and will do with you and I as believers. For he is the resurrection. He is our only hope in life and death. So as we look at this, a taste of things to come, we're going to look at uh, three uh, points of the resurrection as Lazarus experience it. And I want to stress this uh, in, in light of, so I preached John. Man, it's been a long time ago. We've been doing this for a while now. But I looked back out of curiosity. When I preached John, we did this chapter over three sermons, So we're going to probably be here for the next hour and a half. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I I say that is we're not going to unpack it as much as we normally would do with our expository preaching, Uh, and we're going to be celebrating communion today. So we're going to look at uh, three really kind of big points from the chapter. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at the resurrection person. We're going to see Jesus in all his glory, and it's pretty majestic. So we're going to see the resurrection person. Secondly, we're going to see the resurrection power. Uh, The authority that Jesus has over both life and death. And then lastly, we're going to look at the resurrection praise, because that's going to be the key. And we we got a glimpse of it in the very beginning in verse 4, but this is all about bringing glory and honor to God through what happens in this chapter. All right, so let's get started as we look at the resurrection person. Uh, John, if you know anything about the gospel of John, we need to realize that the big emphasis of John as he kind of distinguishes himself from Matthew, Mark, and Luke is there's a great highlighting of Jesus as the God-man. In verse chapter one of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's a lot of a focus of, of the godness of Jesus, his, his deity, and we're seeing that a, a big time in chapter 11. But as we look at the resurrection person, a couple things I want us to see about this resurrection person. Number one is he is compassionate. Read verse 2 with me. It says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with the anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was still. Um, so the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So this is the one he loves. Go down to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then we go to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said, One Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I think it's important for us to remember that we have a Savior. Who is not distant, who is not aloof to our pain, but he genuinely cares about you. You got to remember the context. These are three people that are dear to Jesus. He's close to them. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. We all know we've all lost loved ones. It's horrible. Think about it. Four days later, It still feels like a bad dream, like a nightmare, that you wake up and think maybe it didn't really happen. And that's the context that Jesus comes into, and he's gracious and patient and compassionate. He's not blind to their pain. He's moved. He even weeps. Part of that weeping might be because he's just sad by their unbelief that they, they don't see what is capable But also, I think they move because he's seeing the effects of the fall. You understand, prior to Adam and Eve sinning, death was not a thing. And when they sinned, death entered into the world. So Jesus is seeing all of that. He's seeing people weeping and grieving over a loved one. And that's Jesus. He's compassionate. Matthew 9 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I don't know what I do with some of you, but I don't know what's going on in your life today. But I think some people need to hear this. Jesus cares about you, He's aware of your circumstances. He wears, he's aware of your financial difficulties. He's aware of the relational issues that you're going through. He's aware of uh, feelings of identity and self-worth. He is aware. He cares. He's not just a God. Who, you know, we sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. It's not just that we read that and we sing it, but that, that is reality. Do you need to hear that today, that Jesus loves you? But not only is he compassionate, he's the conqueror. And this is crucial. I mean, it's great that he's compassionate, but if he was only compassionate, I mean, there's limitations to you and I in our love, right? We can love our children, we can love our spouses, but sometimes there's a limit to what we can do about it. We don't have unlimited resources, we don't have a limited power, but Jesus is not only the compassionate one, he is the conqueror. Read, read verse 25, and 25 is going to be the verse we spend the most time on this morning. Jesus says to her, I I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. When we call someone something, it really helps to define who they are, right? If I call somebody Big John, are you going one of two things is going to happen, a little man's going to walk in and it's irony or you're going to expect some big burly dude with giant shoulders who's like Yeah, because that's who he is. If I call somebody, you know, boy genius, you're assuming it's somebody a little bit younger who's like really intelligent. If somebody's speedy, what are they? They're fast. When Jesus calls himself the resurrection, it's giving us a definition of who he is. It means he is the one who, who raises the dead. He is the one who cannot be controlled by the dead. We need to understand, in John, once again, the deity focus, this is an I am statement. Do we remember an I am statement in the Old Testament? Exodus, right? Moses, he's like, all right, I'll go, but who do I say sent me? And he says, I am sent me. So Jesus even saying, I am here, it's an identification of him being God. But he says, I am the resurrection. Another important thing for us to think about with this what happens first, John 11 or John 20? Come on, people. John 11, John 20. John 11, right? Chronological. John 20 is important because what happens in John 20? Jesus is raised from the dead. We need to start thinking through this. Jesus is calling himself the resurrection before he ever was resurrected. How can that be? Because he's the God man. He always had authority over life. He always had authority over death. And he validated it through the resurrection, but he did not get that power through the resurrection. Understand that. Romans 6, 9, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. What a comfort to us as we face death in this life, that we know the one who cares and who has conquered. This is who we have in Jesus. That's why we can have hope. That's why we can go to a funeral of a believer and be encouraged and be comforted because we know that that person is in the presence of the Lord. That's why you can be diagnosed with a terminal illness and given weeks to months to live, and we can have hope Because we know the one who has conquered over death. Well, does this comfort you today? Jesus as the conqueror. What relief that you have in Jesus. But not only do we see the resurrection person, let's look at the resurrection power. He goes on and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So life is found where? In Jesus. In Jesus. In Christ, because he is the life, he imparts life. Uh, John 5, 26, a little bit earlier in John, it says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. That means that death is under his authority. I think there's two implications. One, death does not take place without Jesus' permission. Hear that. We say it often, and I understand the sentiment he died too young. She died too young. Her life was cut short. And I understand what we're saying and, and, I, and I get that, but the reality, the truth of that is that's not true. Not one hair falls from your head unless Jesus wants it to fall. You and I will not die a day before the day that God is sovereignly ordained. He knows the why, he knows the what, he knows the how. But not only does it imply that death does not take place without his permission, it means that he could he can stop and prevent your death whenever. It means that without Christ, there is no life. And I think we need to zoom out of the story that we're reading today in Lazarus and think of the big picture. Think of the spiritual realm when we speak of this. Ephesians 2.1, you know what it says? You were, anybody, blank in your sins, dead in your sins. You could argue you could argue that there is more life at a funeral of a believer than the birth of a child. Whoa, right? Think about that. That the Bible, even David says, I was sinful even in the womb. Paul is saying we're spiritually dead. We need to understand that, that there are people here. I mean, we, we, we live, at least within the entertainment world, I, I Judge me if you want. I don't like zombie movies. Not into that stuff. But you know what a real life kind of zombie movie is? Look around. Because the truth is, in this gymnasium right now are some spiritually dead people. They look alive. They got flesh and blood. They're walking. They're breathing. But if they don't know Christ, there's no life there. Why are you alive today? But not only do we see life is not... Life is found in Christ. Death is foiled by Christ. He goes on and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And listen to this. He says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Did you hear that? You see, not only was Christ raised, he promises to do what to you and I? To raise us. John 5:25 He says truly truly I say to you an hour is coming and is now when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live Think of that that death is foiled by Christ that we won't die again if you are a follower of Christ We got to remember this is a very bleak situation very bleak how many days has he been dead Now there was a rabbinic teaching, there was a rabbinic teaching that after three days the soul took off. So I mean, he's deader than dead. When we go to the um, cabin up in Michigan for vacation and we um, will do hikes and it's pretty common, we'll be walking around and I'll look up in the sky and I'll see buzzards and I'll see these buzzards. And they're, they're flying around in group. And what are they looking for? They're looking for a dead carcass. They're looking for, like, something is dead, whether it's a deer or some kind of an animal. And what we see here is that's, that's Jesus at this point, based on what everybody's thinking. He's been dead for four days. But he's been foiled by Christ. Listen to what, what he says here. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he, we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the air, the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. Isn't that what Christ does here? I mean how amazing would it have been to be there And for hear him to say, Lazarus, come out. And then he walks out of the tomb. Who hears running? I'm kind of running. This dude's dead for four days and he's walking out of the tomb. But that's the power of Christ, that he has authority over death. You long for that future, you offer the hope of that to others. So we see the resurrection person, the power. And lastly, let's look at the praise. Look at verse four. This is important for us to see. It says, this illness will not lead to death for it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified. Um, Verse 13, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that he was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Go down to verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. And he says, Your brother will rise again. And then we go down to verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So, what's the focus? Why is Jesus doing this partially? To see what? To see what? God's glory in Lazarus' resurrection. It's for the glory of God. I told you you would see the glory of God. Have you ever watched a strongman competition? What do they do? Impressive feats of strength. I mean, I've watched them pull semis, throw boulders, crazy stuff. Would it be that impressive if somebody came up and picked this up? Oh, are you? Is it? Where's the oohs and ahs? Like, Joe's really strong. In a suit, too, in a suit. Not that impressive, right? That's part of the reason Jesus stayed two days. Jesus hears he's sick, he doesn't rush there there's no chance for them to say he really wasn't dead. Four days, he's dead. That's the point. The greater the obstacle, glory goes to who? To God, not man. And God, in creative power, just like in creation, where he spoke creation into existence, he calls Lazarus forth. I was reading one commentary, and it was funny. It said the reason that he says Lazarus, because if he didn't, everybody would have raised from the tomb. Think about that. I mean, that's the kind of power at Christ's disposal where you're looking forward to seeing God's glory in life. You look at it. Because some of the circumstances that you are currently going through right now, God is allowing you to go through those so he can show his glory. So you might be getting no's, you might be going through adversity, affliction, suffering, persecution. You know why? Because he's going to show his glory. Isn't that exciting to think about? But not only do we see God's glory in Lazarus' resurrection, I think we need to see God's glory in our own resurrection. I would argue, you know what's more impressive than Jesus raising Lazarus in this moment? Looking out at a room of people who know Christ. Because I'm looking out at a group of people who were dead in their sins and now have been made alive because of Jesus. The Bible is very clear. When we die, we go, as a believer, we immediately go into the presence of the Lord. And then one day, when Christ returns in glory, our glorified body will be reunited with our soul and we'll spend eternity with him. There's never going to be a point where we're not in Christ. And how is that possible? Because you and I went to church? Because you and I read the Bible? Because we served at church? Because I was a preacher? No, the the reason that you and I will one day stand before God and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know why that will happen? One word. What is it? Jesus. 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 He gets the glory in our salvation. Ephesians 2 eight. by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Our salvation is the greatest flex of God's glory, arguably in the whole Bible. Ephesians 1.6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Do you praise the Lord for your salvation? Think about it dropping bibles do you praise the lord because of your salvation i think the more i mature the more aware of my need of salvation if that makes sense probably the more patient i get with other people because i look at how far i've come but i look at how far i still need to go and when I think of even today in celebrating the resurrection, I'm celebrating the fact that God did what I couldn't do. And that's always going to be the case. I mean, the story starts in a very sad situation, does it not? But Jesus' friends have lost a dear loved one. And this is not grandma or grandpa that was 100 years old and it was sad, but hey, he lived a good life. No, Lazarus is probably fairly young. Mary Martha just lost her brother. They've watched Jesus do miraculous things. And yet in the midst of all of it, Jesus wanted to reveal his glory. Jesus wanted to teach them something that was so valuable. The Heidelberg Catechism, it's a confession of faith. And listen to the first question asked. It says, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from the head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Friends, that's what we are celebrating today. Our only hope in life and death is Jesus. And what we see happen to Lazarus in today's passage is what is going to happen to you and I who believe. It already actually has happened in a spiritual realm that we were spiritually dead and he called us forth. And he said, John and Bill and and Ted and all that. He said, come forth. But one day... When he returns in glory, if he doesn't happen in our lifetime, he will call us forth from the grave. So what we're going to do right now is we are going to sing a song, pass out the communion elements, and then I thought it would be great to celebrate communion together on Easter Sunday. But I want to read the lyrics of the song that we're about to sing. Because I I think one of the dangers sometimes when we sing And I'll stereotype completely. I got guys who are concerned about how they sing. They don't sing. So not that I'm typically watching, but I sometimes watch. And I watch some of you guys, and you're like, there's no lips moving. And I've watched games with you, and I've seen your lips move a lot during those games. Then others, I think sometimes you're concerned about singing, and then, and then also, I mean, I have kids, so I, I get it. Kids are distraction, and you're trying to think. But I think a lot of times we don't think through the lyrics of what we're singing. We're just kind of going through the motions. So to, to kind of help you with that, I want to read a couple of the lyrics that we're about to sing right now. It says, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone What is our only confidence, that our souls to him belong, who holds our days within his hand, what comes apart from his command, and what will keep us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Unto the grace, what will we sing, unto the grave, what will we sing, Christ he lives, Christ he lives, and what reward will heaven bring, everlasting life with him. And we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our only hope in life and death. Let's pray. I'm going to bless the communion, and then we will, um, yeah, participate. Father, we just thank you uh, for the story of Lazarus because we realize it's more than a story. It's not something we read about, that's some fictional uh, account, Lord, but this is real history, that in real life, Lazarus, he's one of the few people that dies twice. He died here and then he eventually died. And God, we just pray that you would teach us through this. Help us to understand. Help us to realize that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.